Hey everybody, welcome back to the Unsexy Church Podcast. Thank you again for tuning in to the podcast as we encounter a new subject this week. Uh, Over the past few weeks, we have been talking about controversial and confusing passages of the Bible and discussing them between myself and Pastor Bob here. And we are going to continue doing that today. But before we do, Bob, how's your week been? You know, it's been busy, but good trying to catch up. was uh, out early this week up in North Carolina with Ben, so it's good to be back in the office. And before that, I had been sick, so I was out. So I'm just trying to – I'm kind of running, trying to catch up. But it's been really good. It's good to be back in here doing a podcast for the first time in quite a while. It's been a while. Hey, I got a text from someone or uh, an email from someone uh, who commented that it's one of their favorite podcasts they listen to. It's in their regular rotation. A new person. I'm not making that up just for the podcast. I got an email two days ago. Very nice. And that was super encouraging. One of our new, uh, the father of one of our new young families. So that was really kind of cool. Um, before we get going, uh, I have a mug here I remembered to bring from home. It's pretty tacky. Uh, um, I think it's trying to be funny, and it is funny. Uh, it says pastor with a big warning symbol. Uh, it says anything you say or do could be used in a sermon. Um, of course, that's a big pastoral joke. Uh, don't use that in your sermon if something takes place. And so um, I think one of our young adults gave that to me. Uh, it's been sitting in uh, in my cabinet. So you're saying it's not true of pastors that we just I use every uh, person's life experiences in our sermons? I think it's funny, but I hesitate to make people think that if they do or say something around me, I'm going to use it to my benefit to prove a great point in Scripture or something like that. So uh, I, I hesitate to, to continue that joke just I, for that I, purpose. I have told people that I am going to be using this, but I will change names to protect the not innocent. Oh, there you go. So there there you go. Go. Yeah. Hey, will you switch on that power script down there? Because I don't think this is charging, and I'm just going to keep that in the podcast. <laughs> uh, now charging. We're good. Hey, there okay. you go. Um, hey, so today we're going to be talking about uh, another confusing and controversial passage in the scriptures, particularly who are the 144,000 mentioned in Revelation chapter 7. This is confusing? I, I think I think we can agree that throughout church history, this has been a passage uh, that has had different viewpoints amongst good and godly people. I think we can agree on that. Yes. yes. I think yes. I think it's clear, but I think we can agree that there is some controversy <laughs> over what it is. Yes. Full disclosure, Pastor Bob and I, um, with great love for one another, disagree on some particulars in the book of Revelation. Uh, and so uh, the book of Revelation is one of those books that God desires to reveal something to us, namely himself, and his plan for the rest of um, uh, eternity, and right before we might consider the end of eternity, the right before he um, ushers in the new heavens and new earth, the judgment and wrath, and and so on and so forth, rapture, resurrection, and uh, there's differences of, of opinion in the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation does include a lot of Old Testament imagery and symbolism, and sometimes it'll tell us when those symbols uh, are being used. Um, but throughout church history, and Bob, please, you know, interject at any point in time. You're doing good. Keep going. Throughout church history, uh, many godly men and women, well-known teachers, preachers, evangelists, uh, early church fathers have held different opinions on the book of Revelation. Uh, the three main uh, opinions really uh, revolve around the millennium as it presents itself in Revelation 20. Uh, and those three opinions or interpretations of the book of Revelation are uh, the opinion of premillennialism, uh, the interpretation of amillennialism, 
and the interpretation of post-millennialism. So millennialism being a thousand-year reign. A thousand-year reign, which we're actually not really talking about uh, this 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 podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's those different um, opinions are where people place the return of Christ in relationship to a thousand-year reign that's mentioned in Revelation 20. Uh, so does Christ return before that a thousand-year reign? That'd be pre-millennial. Uh, does Christ return um, uh, irregardless of the thousand-year millennium? Or um, is that thousand-year millennium actually a literal thousand years? That's amillennial. Um, or post-millennial, uh, does Christ return after uh, the millennium? And amillennial uh, probably should just be nuanced in saying that amillennial is, is a sort of post-millennial view because most people think the millennium is current right today in that viewpoint and that Christ will return, of course, after the millennium, therefore. So um, just uh, that things won't get necessarily better as the post-millennial view holds, but things will get actually worse on millennialism. So, And I think historically most folks fall in one of those first two categories. Correct. Either pre-millennial or all-millennial. Very few. There are some, but very few mm-hmm. hold a post-millennial view today. Do you know Jonathan Edwards held a post-millennial view? Really? That's really interesting. That is interesting. Yeah. So uh, let's just name a few real fast. I think this would kind of be fun. Uh, so pre-millennialism, uh, specifically historic pre-millennialism, uh, is found as early as you can find uh, views on Revelation in the church. Um, uh, amillennialism is found really close to that, uh, kind of around the time of Augustine. Uh, and then postmillennialism is found a little bit later in church history as uh, at least more common. Um, dispensational and a nuanced view of premillennialism uh, isn't found until about the 1800s or um, interpreted particularly that way until about the 1800s, but it's really another uh, understanding of premillennialism. So um, uh, any particular church leaders, teachers today or in the past that you can think of that are premillennial? John MacArthur? John MacArthur. Danny uh, Aiken? Today, yeah. Um, Schofield. Okay. Ryrie. Charles Ryrie. Who's Schofield? Uh, I don't know his first name. Something Schofield. Yeah. I don't remember. I believe he was. Yes. Yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah. He was dispensational primo. Right? I believe so. I know Ryrie was. I'm I'm pretty sure Schofield was. Yeah. Um, I'm not big on putting people in camps, but as you're saying, these are just people that have held these positions, taught these positions. And been faithful in their understanding and teaching of Scripture. They're believers. Correct. And, And we need to add in this that... Somebody who holds a premillennial view and somebody who holds an amillennial view do not be need to be in opposition with one another. We're on the same team. This is uh, I have my boxing gloves. Right. Well, I'm just we're ready to go. Um, <laughs> but you know, we a few sessions ago we we talked about spiritual triage, our mm. theological triage, and, mm. and putting into categories those things that are primary of importance, secondary, and tertiary in importance. And and while this is very important, it is not a primary issue of salvation in mm-hmm. understanding how to interpret the book of Revelation. And so brothers like you and I, mm. who fall in two different camps on this, can be brothers in arms in, mm. in, in everything and still just come at this from nuanced understandings of, of the end times. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll just continue. Uh, I think that's perfect and, and great. Uh, Amillennial uh, interpreters would include um, – uh, um, uh, I've, I've got a list. Vody Bauckham, uh, R.C. Sproul, um, uh, David Platt is amillennial. Um, some other guys from a little bit uh, older, Martin Luther, John Calvin, had amillennial views, um, and then Augustine. Uh, so, um, and, and the thing is, 
I mean, you got MacArthur, for example, who's a who's a staunch premillennial, and then Vody Bauckham, who's uh, a staunch amillennial, and they do conferences together all the time, and they love one another, mm-hmm. right? Now, Vody might not teach his uh, uh, understanding of Revelation in John MacArthur's Master Seminary, right? Uh, but um, they love one another. They walk side beside one another, preach next to each other, and and even comment on one another's preaching as some of their favorite preaching that they've heard. Um, so very, very kind of again, what you said. Um, good, godly men and women throughout the centuries have disagreed on some finer points in the Book of Revelation. But let's talk about before we talk about disagreeing and specifically on the hundred forty-four thousand. Mm-hmm. What are some some areas of agreement that we can just share that maybe even all believers should share? as it pertains to the book of Revelation. Uh, So salvation comes by grace through faith, no matter if it's in the book of Genesis, in the book of Matthew, or in the book of Revelation. It is always God's redemptive plan has always been not what we do, but what he's done. Um, And he will save us not through our works, but through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So salvation comes by grace through faith. God is redeeming a people from his lost creation. Um, he is going to redeem his creation and set it right. Mm-hmm. And I think we can agree on on those things for sure. Yeah. Uh, some other things we can agree on. Uh, the promise to Abraham uh, that Abraham's descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky will find their fulfillment in Revelation, the end of Revelation chapter 7, mm-hmm. um, which we're not really talking too much about the end of Revelation 7. We're talking about the beginning of it, um, but where you see this innumerable multitude of believers um, uh, you know, with God worshiping him, right. uh, God will f- fulfill his promises. Mm-hmm. Um, a few other things, uh, Christ is going to return, has not returned yet. We don't, we don't believe the, the heresy in second Thessalonians that somehow the day of the Lord and Christ has already returned, um, that we will be caught up with God and be with him forever as believers. If you've trusted Christ, there will be a time Christ will return and you'll be with him from that point on forevermore. Um, and, uh, that, as you said, by grace through faith in Christ, we will experience the new heavens and new earth for all eternity. Um, and, and, and at the point in time we hear the trumpet sound and we're caught up to God in the air, like first Thessalonians four says, mm-hmm. um, I don't think there's anybody that's going to be on their way up to Christ being, I told you so. This is how it's going to happen. <laughs> I think that that sweet sound of the trumpet will be music to our ears and we'll have no even thought of, I told you so. So, uh, while we still, however, that may happen during this podcast, but not on that day, <laughs> that's right? right? That's okay. right. Uh, until then, um, we want to do our best to faithfully understand and interpret the scriptures. And sometimes that means that in these tertiary matters, like the 144,000, we may have just a small disagreement. And so what we want to do on this podcast today is model, hopefully, I think you'd agree with this, model, um, charitable disagreement amongst brothers in Christ, um, so that when you hear of a difference of opinion on a minor passage, you won't immediately uh, think "die heretic, die." Right? Um, that, uh, that, that, that there's room in churches to fellowship with one another. Um, uh, subtle disagreement, small disagreements on particular passages. Yeah, I, I think these are passages. That we need to be confident in what we understand as we've studied, as we've allowed God. But we need to be charitable and saying, okay, this is what I understand it to be, but somebody else has a biblical view that's different than mine. Uh, and we need to be humble to say, can I learn from that view as well? So uh, while you and I are going to present different positions, it doesn't mean we're in opposition to one another. We're on the same team. We're, we're, we're heading in the same place. We're just understanding it differently as we go through what, although the book of Revelation means a revealing and unveiling, mm-hmm. it is still 
a difficult book to understand because of the things you mentioned. Symbolism, uh, what is literal, what's to be taken literally, what's not to be taken literally or to be taken symbolically. And that's difficult to determine through the book. Yeah. So uh, I think these are these are good things that we are simply today just going to try to present two different views mm-hmm. um, that are not in conflict with one another. They're just different views of what's how it's going to be laid out yeah. and how we can be uh, charitable to one another in the midst of it. So let's do this. Let's read the passage, state uh, like a, a, a one-sentence summary uh, of our thoughts on the passage of who the 144,000 is, just one sentence. And then if we can just take a moment to kind of go through some of the things we went through before to say, okay, this is this is how this makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then start to go back and say, okay, these are the reasons why I think this. Sounds like a plan. Yep. You want to read the passage? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Revelation chapter seven. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to follow along. Verses one through eight. Um, here we go. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. Um, I had someone. I know I'm stopping right in the middle of reading scripture. I had someone point to this passage and say, it seems like the Bible um, is is commending or in, in, uh, causing us to interpret flat earth theory, the four corners of the earth. I thought that was funny. Okay. All right. Maybe not that funny, but uh, I've, I've had that happen before. That might be another podcast. For yeah, 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 yeah. Um, round earth. Okay. So uh, after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed. 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. Verse 5, 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, and so on and so forth from the tribe of Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, and Benjamin were sealed, 12,000 from each tribe. So just briefly, Bob, let's just say a sentence uh, of where we land, of who these people are. And then we'll talk about kind of, again, generally how we can hold that position and then arguments for that position. So who are these 144,000? Okay, so just reading it and taking it at face value, it is 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So there are 12,000 from each tribe. This is more than one sentence because it's hard no, to no, just no. do this in more than one sentence. Um, so we're... I believe in the period of tribulation that is described, uh, we see it in verse 14 in this chapter, um, where these are people who are sealed by God, that mark their uh, possession by God, the protection of God, and the provision of God on them during that tribulation period. So I believe the 144,000 are Jews who come to trust in Jesus Christ who are sealed by God during the period of the tribulation. Awesome. Uh, So I, on the other hand, uh, have the at least current opinion, which I am not uh, opposed to changing my opinion of Revelation any time in my life. I uh, have the opinion that the 144,000 is a symbolic number of the servants of God or the redeemed, which they're also called, uh, on the earth, uh, servants of, of the Lord, 
um, that are um, uh, symbolically called Israel, representing both um, believing Jew and believing Gentile. And I, I have the opinion that all of these 144,000 believers that still exist, I have the opinion the rapture has not taken place yet, are sealed uh, as a seal of protection and possession uh, throughout the rest of the tribulation or wrath of God, so they will not experience the things that God will bring against an unbelieving world. And so um, this, in my opinion, this isn't a, a set-aside group of people to uh, um, necessarily be witnesses, but rather all of God's people that still remain on the earth protected by God throughout what will take place. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Okay. So um, there's there's a reason you can't hold my position. There's multiple reasons you don't hold my position, but there's a reason you can't hold my position. So let's go through a few reasons why that would be impossible to hold sure. in, in your understanding. Before we go there, can we just contextually put chapter 7 in the picture of it. the book of, of, of Revelation? Yeah. So Revelation one nineteen is traditionally kind of held as the outline for the book of Revelation. So that says, therefore, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which shall take place after these things. And so the things which you have seen is chapter one, as, as John is, is taken into this, this revelation of God. The things which are are this, the letters to the churches, chapters two and three. Uh, and then we begin to see verse chapter four and five, just this amazing picture of the throne room of God, where, where he's taken in and he sees God seated on his throne. God's holding a book in his hand. And chapter five, there's no one worthy to go take mm. that book out of his hand. And Such John, a good chapter. Oh, you know, it's an amazing chapter. And John begins to weep. And one of the elders around the throne says, stop weeping. Behold, a lamb standing as if slain, and, and the lamb goes and takes the book, and they begin mm. to cry out, worthy is the lamb, worthy is the lamb. And, of course, this is a picture of Jesus Christ taking that, yeah. that book of life from the from the hand of God. Uh, then in chapter 6, uh, we begin to see the judgment of God against sin being poured out on earth, right? Uh, so we see that through a series of judgments. There are seal judgments, there are trumpet judgments, and there are bowl judgments. And so chapter six uh, begins to, as as the lamb breaks the first seal on that scroll, we see the first judgment that's poured out. And so six of those seals are broken. And then there's a pause. Mm -hmm. And that's where we are in chapter seven. Chapter seven is just this pause because what is revealed in the first six seal judgments is just overwhelming. Uh, the destruction that's going to take place. And it's just the tip of the iceberg of what we're going to see in the, in the um, trumpet and bold judgment. But there is a pause that asks basically the question, who in the world can stand up to this judgment? Mm. Who in the world is going to be able to survive what God pours out on the earth? Mm. And I believe chapter seven answers that question. Agreed. Right. So we have these that have been sealed in the chapter and the verses that we've just read. And then after that, we see all of these from every tribe and tongue and nation around the throne of God worshiping. So it answers the question. It takes a pause and answers the question, who's going to stand the judgment? Who can? Yeah. Uh, so you're saying the seals get progressively uh, more uh, um, destructive. Mm -hmm. Sixth seal is like uh, it's, it's reminiscent of the Old Testament Day of the Lord passages. Uh, everything, rocks are falling down, sun's falling, stars are falling, everybody runs for the hills. The question is who can stand? Right. And then chapter 7 takes a break from the seals, 
and answers that question, who can stand? Who can stand? And then eventually you get to the seventh seal in chapter eight after he answers the question, mm-hmm. um, which that is uh, – chapter eight is really unique because chapter eight, without going into too much detail, is is basically God's response to – the fifth seal where the people at the altar are crying out, will you vindicate us? Yeah. You know, in chapter uh, eight, when he records the seventh seal, there's uh, an angel from an altar that basically vindicates God's people. He hears the prayers and responds by throwing mm-hmm. fire on the earth. Yeah. So I just wanted to put the text in context of, yeah. of, of the overall book. And so later on, we're going to see chapters 20 and 21, um, the things which shall take place, mm-hmm. right? So you're going to see that's the the new heaven and the new earth, new Jerusalem coming down. So this chapter four to chapter nineteen is is what is taking place in in this period of time. Before we say a couple more things, can I just add just one yeah, brief thing to course. that? Yeah. So this 144,000 um, that we're talking about that arrives at the point of who can stand during the judgments of God, um, and it's the sealed people. Mm-hmm. which we agree with who the people are. We disagree, but it is the sealed it's people, the sealed people that can stand through God's judgment. They're mentioned again. So that seal meaning they are protected. protected. These are God's possession. He's protecting them. They cannot be touched either by his judgment or by the wrath of the Antichrist or whoever. Right. They cannot be harmed during that period of time. And, and we would we would agree, I think, and, and help me out with this, this. Some of this is just kind of fleshing out, and I hope this is, is yeah, helpful. Yeah. Um, we would agree that the seal is almost set up as an opposite or the antithesis of the mark of the beast. Right. This is the possession and protection of God, whereas the mark of the beast is, I will protect you. I possess you coming from the beast. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. So the, the 144,000, just maybe, but it'd be helpful to say this. Um, they're mentioned uh, elsewhere in the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation 14, if I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. talks about this 144,000 on the Mount of Zion. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's right. Uh, singing uh, a song of praise to the Lord. Uh, yes, on the Mount of Zion, uh, they're, uh, they have the, the name of their father's name on their foreheads, just like the seals on the foreheads. Um, they, they thunder and clap and roar, play harps, and they sing a new song around the throne. Um, and no one could learn the song except for the 144,000 in Zion, which a lot of people would say probably is, is heaven or something like that. Um, I don't know if you'd agree with that. Uh, but that, that's where elsewhere where they're mentioned, Revelation 14. Mm-hmm. And they're mentioned in Revelation 9 as well. Um, the people who have the seal of God, verse 4, are those who are not harmed by the fifth and sixth trumpet. Um, the people, it's Revelation 9, verse 4. Uh, that the locusts could not harm the grass of the earth, any green plant, any tree, um, but only those who don't have the seal of God on their right. foreheads. So these people are mentioned a few other times in Revelation. I think that's just helpful sure. to note. Sure. All right. So, so as uh, we look at Revelation, it you whoever's reading Revelation and trying to interpret Revelation, you have to look at it through a filter. Sure. We all have to figure out okay, what filter by which are we going to understand Scripture? So there can be the filter I choose to use is a dispensational premillennial. So dispensation that God works in administrations of period of time with man, and that there will be a premillennial Christ will return and establish a thousand-year reign. Hmm. You look at it from a amillennial view that, hmm. that that thousand years is is not a literal reign of Christ where he comes and establishes uh, reign on earth, but he is reigning in his church and his people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to speak for you, but that that's ju- in Pretty much, general, yeah, right, right? Yeah, yeah. And I could bounce between historical premill and amill, but I'm I'm currently today I'm amill. <laughs> so today's the day. So so having said that, uh, um, 
my interpretation of Revelation then would understand that there is the church age. There will be a rapture of the church, mm-hmm. right? Not I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, but just to help understand the, mm-hmm. the yeah. clarifying. Yeah, the, yeah. So there will be at some point a rapture of the church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, New Testament saints. So they will be raptured out. The church will go to where God is. Then there will be a seven-year period time. Uh, Daniel chapter nine, other passages. Seventy weeks. Seventy weeks. Mm-hmm. The, the there'll be a seven-year period of time where God is pouring out His wrath against sin, where Satan is kind of unbound for a while, and all hell breaks loose mm-hmm. on earth. If you'll pardon the expression. Um, at the end of that time, there will be a turning of the nation of Israel, and those that are alive at that time, Israel will will repent, trust that Christ is their Messiah. Christ will then return and establish his millennial kingdom, a literal thousand-year reign on earth where he will fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham and David and Moses and, and all the covenants, and he will establish his reign on earth. The church will be there as well. Mm-hmm. And then there is a final battle that takes place, and then we enter into the new heaven and the new earth, the eternal state. So that is the perspective by which I view Revelation. So that then we'll, as I answer these questions about mm-hmm. who the 144,000 is, that's going to help frame those, those answers. Yeah. So just to clarify, not, not to ask questions necessarily, sure, sure. but just to, I guess, ask some questions. Yeah. So um, you see rapture, then tribulation, then return of Christ. So they're separate from one another in your view. I do believe they're, they're separate events. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then at the return of Christ, a thousand years. I'm just going back over what you said. Right. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, at the return of Christ, there's a really big battle. There is a yes, and then and sorry, and then the Satan thousand is years. bound for a thousand years, and yeah. then he's let loose one more time for yeah. a final battle. So the uh, Armageddon is chapter sixteen, I think, which would be that first battle, which is extrapolated upon in seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. Correct. And then the second battle is uh, Megiddo mm-hmm. in twenty. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then new heavens and new earth. Right. Uh, so, um, in my understanding, and feel free to ask questions uh, that I may not be able to answer. Uh, in my understanding of the timeline of events, uh, I, I do think that um, things will get progressively worse um, uh, before the return of Christ. Um, when we hear about the rapture in First Thessalonians chapter four, which is the explicit rapture passage, if you will, right? Um, rapture just means caught up, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's Latin for caught up. Um, uh, that passage is. Uh, it, I think it's important to note, it's really hard to find an explicit rapture in the book of Revelation. I think we can just admit that without mm-hmm. without fear. So, play, so, so the differences of opinion sometimes are, okay, where's the rapture in Revelation? So um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it mentions the rapture, what Christ um, comes back, trumpet sound, archangel voice, real loud, boomy moment, um, the, the church or the believers of God will rise up to meet him in the air. Um, I take that to be synonymous with uh, the return of Christ. Um, chapter 5, right after chapter 4 in 1 Thessalonians 5, it mentions this. I would argue that he's mentioning the same day. He said, don't worry about this day when I'm going to return. Um, you know, you, you would separate the two, but mm-hmm. don't worry about when I'm going to return. It's not going to be a scary thing. You be sober and be watchful. Remember, you'll always be with the Lord. Um, and so I would put the rapture and return of Christ at the same time. I would say there's going to be, throughout the book of Revelation, intense persecution on the church. There's a moment at which God says, I'm protecting my church, the seal. Um, 
God's church will be kept um, through persecution, not necessarily kept from persecution, right. but kept from wrath. Mm-hmm. So I want to distinguish the two there. Um, uh, sometimes tribulation, in my opinion, get a little, little tricky. Persecution, I think the people of God will experience. Wrath, I do not think they will experience. Uh, and so all of what's occurring in Revelation, I do think the church is present. Uh, and unless they die, they get martyred, like the fifth seal. Um, and then at the very end, Christ returns. The church is, in a sense, raptured up to be with him to usher him down to win the battle, if that makes sense, to watch him basically dispel all of his enemies with a single word. And I think Paul in First Thessalonians 4 is using Roman language to say, okay, just like the the Romans go out to Caesar to usher him in to announce his his triumphal reign or his his win. That's kind of I think what he's describing in First Thessalonians four. And and again, I don't see a very explicit rapture in the book of Revelation, so I, I tie it with Revelation nineteen as as the church of God coming down. I think they've met him and come down if most of them are not already in heaven because they've died during the, the tribulation or the difficult difficult days. Uh, the millennial reign, I'm more hesitant to comment on this because I do waver a little bit between historical pre-mill and amill. Um, I, I think it's quite possible uh, that, uh, and people don't crucify me over this, uh, this is a historical view. I think it's quite possible that Satan is bound as to deceiving the nations, which is what he's bound from. And I say that to say that Satan can still wreak a ton of havoc on the earth. Um, I mean, I just went and walked Auschwitz. Satan has wreaked havoc on the earth. Uh, Satan's wreaks havoc in families. Um, but the gospel of Christ is going unbounded. Um, and 2.18 people currently at this given moment profess that Christ is Lord, which is pretty crazy when you think of a middle-aged carpenter who died. Um, uh, and so I, I think God is... Um, seated on David's throne, as you would agree, exercising authority over um, the evil one so that the gospel continues unbounded. Um, that's that's how I'd probably articulate that at this current moment. Um, I think, I know I've explained a lot, but I think the battle that's in chapter 16 and the battle in chapter 20 are the same battle. They're very similar in my view. I think ch- chapter 20 is recapitulation and the new heavens and new earth. So rapture, return of Christ, and then ushering in the new heavens and new earth. Yeah, that's just us Sorry, articulating. No, 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 yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. okay. We're just articulating the two views and how we are the the lens by which we're looking at yeah. the 144,000. So can I go over just this real fast? So so just to clarify where we're at, I would say and, and help me qualify this: churches churches there. So church Jews and Gentile believers have not have not been raptured yet, in my understanding. And I would say that the church has been raptured yes. out, but during the tribulation, there are people who come to trust in Christ. Yes. So there will be saints in that period of time, both Jew and Gentile. And primarily through Jewish witness. Primarily through Jewish witness. Uh, you would say um, uh, a primary reason for understanding that the church is no longer in, and, and again, help me with this, mm-hmm. the church is no longer in Revelation between chapters 4 and 18, four so and you 18. don't see the word church. The word church is not there. It's yeah. not saying is, but the word church is not. The church. The word church disappears after chapter 4 and reappears in chapter 18. Yeah. Uh, I would say you see the word saints throughout, and so I would I would pin my understanding on the church still being there with the word saints. Right. Um, uh, you would say that the church is protected in heaven during this time, rapture. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, the New Testament saints, those that— precede the tribulation with their belief. Right. 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 Um, I would say the church is protected on earth. Um, I'm, again, I hope this is just helpful just to no, see where we're at. I think that's accurate. I would say that there are some that are on earth that are sealed and protected as well, but the okay. church is in heaven and sealed. And then these 144,000 are sealed. And there may be even Gentiles who come to trust that are 
not all are because they're clearly tribulation martyrs. So not all of them are sealed. But the church is protected in heaven during this period of time yeah. while tribulation is taking place on earth. You said church is sealed in heaven. Would you say instead, so just not to confuse the protected sealing, in heaven. protected yeah. in heaven protected. by um, souls in the presence at rest in, with Christ. Correct. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, I, I would probably say that the um, throughout the, the book of Revelation, the church having not been raptured is the primary missionary movement um, for the the people of the earth, calling them to repent, and yet even plagued by locusts, they don't repent. So there's people calling them to repent. You would say primarily the 144,000 and the Jewish people now taking upon themselves the call of God in the Old Testament. To do being fulfilled. Right. So yeah, yeah. I, I would say there are two witnesses mentioned in yep. that period of time that are primary witnesses. I would say the 144,000 are to the nation of Israel so that the nation will turn, but also to the, we see that multitude that is underneath the, the throne. They're there because of the testimony of those that are, that are, that are witnessing during the, the tribulation period. And again, you would say rapture at beginning. Um, maybe chapter before chapter four, um, right after. Yeah, I would. I'm, you kind of place it there, right? Would mm-hmm. you agree with some dispensationalists who say that? Um, again, I think we can agree rapture is kind of hard to find explicitly, explicitly in Revelation, like using the same language as First Thessalonians four explicitly. Um, uh, do you have the opinion that um, when John is caught up? I think, it, I think it even uses the phrase caught up to heaven and, and the heavenly vision. That's almost symbolic of the church being caught up. Or is that just John's vantage point in heaven? I think it's John's vantage point in heaven. Yeah. But you could make an argument around the throne. You have these 24 elders. You have yeah. – so those are representative of the church. So you, you – I would argue somewhere in that period of time is – is that rapture period. Yeah. And then I would place rapture again. I'm just kind of going back and mm-hmm. forth where we're at. Probably chapter 19 um, uh, and rapture being downward rather than upward. Yeah. So so we meet him in the air, but we come down um, right. when he wins. And you would say we meet him in the up, up in the air and we go up to be protected in heaven. And we return with him at the second coming. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I don't right. wanna, so I we make go sure up at the rapture <laughs> and we come back down at the second coming. Yes, yes. 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 And I would say we're already at the second coming in my view. And so that's why instead of going up and then back down, we're just kind of kind of going up and then down, if that makes sense. Meet him in the air, uh, just like you'd meet Caesar outside the city gates and bring him in. So, okay. Um, uh, so, uh, one similarity that I just, I, I want to hold on to before we just give our, our reasons. And I don't think the reasons will take that long. I really don't. Yeah. Um, because you have the great opportunity to say, well, it says Israel. And so it's Israel. <laughs> you, you have that. I got it. Um, but I do want to share, um, what may be a misnomer or a misunderstanding about amillennialism. Um, amillennialism has historically not believed. Now there's a minority, um, and there's a, there's a unique minority in every belief system, right? Um, uh, Westboro calls themselves Baptists, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're not Westboro Baptists. Uh, there's a unique minority in amillennialism that, that believes that somehow the church has actually taken the place of Israel and that all Israel will not be saved in the end. It's just Israel's the church and all the church will be saved in the end. Now, I want to I want to say that's not my view. Um, and that's not been the majority of amillennial viewpoints anyways. Uh, so let me just correct a misnomer or misunderstanding there. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's good to clarify. Yeah. Are you referring to what's commonly referred to as replacement theology? Correct. I am not a replacement theologian. Um, I do believe, however, uh, that the church is um, – is understood in the New Testament as Abraham's offspring. Uh, so through faith, there is one God, one people of God. 
Uh, there's not two. Ephesians 2 is pretty clear about that in my understanding. There is, is and always has been one people of God through faith. Uh, however, God did do a unique thing in choosing Israel, the ethnic people in the Old Testament. And, and Paul seems to say very clearly in Romans 11 that God still has a plan to, um, to save ethnic Israel. And so um, while I, I would not try to find, I, I don't see that clearly in the book of Revelation, just like I don't see the rapture clearly in the book of Revelation. I believe it's true just because I don't find it in a clear spot um, that that Israel at the time of Christ's return or before, um, during the, 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 the worst parts of the tribulation period, there will be a turning of the people of Israel. There will be a time and place where they hear the gospel message, respond in faith, and whether that's 99.99% or 100%, it will be Israel that returns to Christ. Um, I think that's ethnic. Um, but I do think a lot of times in the New Testament, um, when you see the Israel of God or the circumcision people now, it often does, in my understanding, refer to the people of God as a whole, even Gentiles. Yeah, I think that that's good to make that, that clarification because I, I do distinguish between Israel and the church. <clears throat> Um, but there is spiritual Israel, and the church is part of that, mm-hmm. right? So those are not of Abraham of the flesh, but those of faith. So we're, yeah. we're on the same page yeah. there. But I don't think that God has taken the promises that he made to Abraham and to the nation of Israel and thrown those away or right. or even fulfilled those in the church. I think uh, he will fulfill those promises to the nation of Israel that I agree with you. There is a complete turning of the nation at some point in history – I would pinpoint the the tribulation as the key reason. One of the key reasons for the tribulation is the turning of the nation of Israel, Mm. where all those who are alive at that time, not all Jews of all time, but all that are alive at that time, will turn and trust in God. That ethnic Israel will turn and trust. Um, I believe that's the key that triggers Christ's return, second coming, and establishing of the millennial kingdom. Um, but as God's redemptive plan in, is portrayed in chapter 11, is portrayed uh, of Romans, is portrayed as a, as a, as a tree that mm-hmm. has natural branches, mm-hmm. Jews, mm-hmm. some that are unbelieving, that are cut off, mm-hmm. and then it has branches that have been grafted in, mm-hmm. the Gentiles. So we're all part of this God's redemptive plan. It mm-hmm. was one plan throughout the beginning. Um, and together we make up spiritual Israel, believing Jews and believing Gentiles, Together are the people of God. The one people of God. The one people of God. That's right. Yeah, because because th- that text says that the Jews, if they believe, right, can be grafted back into right. the, the tree. Correct. Right. Right. So there's been a grafting in of uh, unbelieving, sorry, of believing Gentiles, um, a tearing away of unbelieving Jews in the past, right, mm-hmm. and then through salvation by faith. A grafting back in of Jewish people, which we both agree Correct. is that promise in Revelation eleven or Romans eleven mm-hmm. that will come to fruition in the last right. days. Yeah. And I would say those promises that God made to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, I see those being fulfilled in that literal thousand year. Okay, so I think that's one point. We probably of distinction. disagree a little bit on. Yeah, that I'm sure problem. we do, but problem. I'm just, I'm just that that distinction there. Yeah. No. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I was just saying that that's probably distinct distinct between our beliefs. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, all right, so uh, let's just get to the text. I don't think we have to belabor it, uh, but you think, Bob, you have the interpretation that the 144,000 here that are protected from God's wrath is ethnic Israel. It's made up of 144,000, literally 144,000, like that exact number? Yeah. Yeah, from the, ethnic the, Israel. Because there's nothing in the text that tells me not to take it literally. Yeah. And I understand in, in 
in Revelation, there's a lot that is symbolic. There's a lot, but the rule of thumb is if if there's not reason to take it symbolically, then to take it literally. So literally 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. And I know there's some differences in the names that are listed there, but I don't think we want to get into that, those weeds on this discussion, but I believe it's literally 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. So these are actual people living during the period of the tribulation, Jews who trust in Christ, who are then sealed and protected from divine judgment. Uh, I believe them to be the first fruits of Israel turning back to God. And I believe through their faithful witness, both to Jews and Gentiles, that there will be many saved, multitudes saved during the tribulation. Um, so chapter 7, verse 3 refers to them as bond servants. So I believe they are serving God's purposes during that period of time. And the purpose of God's people is to reveal his glory to the world, to share his love with the world. Yeah. And I believe that's what they do. That's who they are. Uh, so, uh, my understanding of the 144,000 with all of the things that we've mentioned previously is that the church is still present on the earth during this time. Um, uh, and that the 144,000 are the, the Israel of God mentioning like Galatians 6, 16, which is the believing Gentile and the believing Jew. I think 144,000 in my understanding is a symbolic number. Uh, Bob, I think you have uh, a phenomenal point of, um, of uh, saying that it does not, it does not mention to take this symbolically, and there's there's multiple times in your argument uh, that that Revelation does mention take this symbolically, <laughs> right? right? So right. like you have the lampstands in chapter one, it's like mm-hmm. that's the church. And you're Let like, me oh, explain this to you. Oh, right. and then you've got uh, you've got the the. Um, Six six six, and it says it's the number of a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have the the woman riding the beast with a cup of uh, abominations. Which I don't know what that looks like, but a cup of abominations. And it says the woman's a city, right? And so you, we have to be very careful with this text for two reasons. Number one, because you might get a clue at the end of the passage, and number two, because sometimes he is talking symbolically. So this is one of those instances where it, it, he may not say it, uh, he's talking symbolically, but I do take that he's talking symbolically. Um, there's a few other times, like you know. Uh, uh, um, the the, the hundred forty four thousand later in chapter fourteen, for example, uh, are are virgins. It's the same hundred forty four thousand, uh, but I, I I do take that that doesn't mean that they're actually haven't right. haven't uh, had intercourse. Can mm-hmm. I say that on the podcast? You just did. It is the unsexy church podcast. Uh, so they haven't they've, had. They've kept themselves pure they've, religiously. They have yes. He, he's right. using an Old Testament passage of. Um, adultery, which meant idolatry, right? Right, and and calling them virgins, uh, they've not defiled themselves with the woman on the beast. Right. And so again, I think that's a one a symbol or a or a, un, a way of understanding the passage. Uh, and so that's how I take the hundred forty four thousand. I, I think there's multiple numbers used that aren't necessarily uh, uh, the the exact number. Seven churches. I think there were seven churches, but I think those seven churches represent all of the entire church. Um, there's a few uh, just kind of odd things. Um, uh, these these people are mentioned servants. They're they're mentioned as servants. They're later mentioned as saints. They're mentioned as the redeemed. And these are words that are often used in the New Testament for believers. Uh, and so that's another reason I take it. Um, the interesting thing is, of course, that I, and I know it's hard to hold, uh, is that they are called Israel, and they the names that are there are the names of uh, the, the Israelite tribes. As you mentioned, I think it's Ezekiel 48 that mentions mm-hmm. that there's going to be a final moment where all of these tribes of Israel are, um, they're going to be given their land and they're going to, uh, basically, uh, what's the phrase he used? 
that they're going to finally be saved, finally be saved okay. uh, in some way or another. Like there's going to be some kind of final sure. eschatological salvation. <laughs> the, the interesting thing is this is not the 12 tribes in the exact way mentioned in Ezekiel 48, which is just, I mean, honestly, I don't know if that proves my point. That's just odd, right? right? You'd think it'd be the exact same list as Ezekiel 48, but, but, the, but it's the, not. The list of the 12 tribes is rarely the same throughout sure. Scripture. So it's sure. different on almost every, uh, yeah, every yeah. time it's listed. Yeah, I have no, I'm not trying to win there or anything. It's just right. really unique right. that it's not the, the exact same as the very passage that says right. there is going to be a final salvation. So, and we, we're not trying to poke holes in each other's no, positions no, no, no. at all. My question to the 144,000 being symbolic would be, uh, we would both agree, I'm certain, that more than 144,000 people are going to be saved. 100%. Right. So we, we would agree yeah. with that. So why then that specific number? So what what is the symbolism of 12,000 from each tribe? If it's symbolic, yeah. That just you know, seems like an odd number. And again, I'm not, I'm not, like asking, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not necessarily asking you for an answer. <laughs> sure. I'm just saying that would be my question yeah. to that position. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the very end of the New Heavens and New Earth, there's mentioned uh, the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes making up the um, the the entirety of the, the New Heavens and New Earth, the temple, the place where God dwells, the 12 tribes and the 12 apostles. So if you take 12 times 12 and then use the, the, the number 1,000, which often means multitude, just like 7 means uh, a great number. Mm-hmm. 12 times 12 times 1,000, you get 144,000. And so I just think it means, personally, I know it's not satisfactory to anyone. It means a great multitude. Um, and so I, instead of understanding this group of people as um, kind of a, um, a people set aside, a Jewish people set aside to go and, and share the gospel with the ends of the earth that still remain, calling them to repentance before Christ returns, I think this is the people of God that still remain um, who have not died from persecution, um, who have not died from old age, that at the time Christ brings his wrath upon the earth are protected um, as an example of God's love for his people. They still call people to repentance, just like bond servants. I agree with that. They call people to repentance. People don't repent. They're saved in chapter 9 and chapter 10 from the locust and from the armies. Um, there, Many of them are in heaven shouting Hosanna and Revelation 14. Uh, I think, and I, and this is the best way I can describe it, um, for people, um, I think there's a lot in Revelation reminiscent of the Exodus. I mentioned this earlier, um, where uh, God's people are in Egypt, but they're God's people in Egypt. And there's probably some Egyptians that um, that believed in God and probably put blood over their doorframes, uh, just as there might have been some Hebrews who didn't put blood over their doorframes and tested God. Um, throughout the, the time, uh, the Hebrews still had to make bricks and were persecuted. Um, and probably even more so when they saw that the, the, the plagues didn't affect them. You're not being affected. Well, I'll work you harder. They're mad at the, at the Hebrews, the, the, the God of the Israelites. Um, and yet they're sealed. They have blood over the doorframe, which I think is reminiscent of this sealing, just in my understanding. Uh, and then at one point in time, God says, all right, I'm done with Egyptian people. You guys go. And he releases his people to cross the Red Sea and then brings the waters over the Egyptians to say wrath. That's the final wrath, like the, the chapter 19 to me in Revelation. And then God's people on the opposite side worship, which for us, it's really weird to read Revelation 19 and see God's people worship after the world is destroyed. But it, it's not really hard for us to read. Um, I mean, just personally, like, oh, how do I worship when my uh, my aunt who's denied Christ and I've tried to reach her 
Um, how can I worship at her death? But but you read Exodus chapter 15 in the Song of Moses, and there's no question what the Egypt did to them in those moments that would cause them to sing for joy at the salvation of their God. Well, that's what happens in Revelation 19. After they're delivered, all, after God's enemies are are taken asunder, God's people just rejoice and sing, and it, and it makes sense. It's like another Exodus. That's, that's just the way I understand it in my own viewpoint. True. Um, so, uh, yeah. Could we also say that the seal that we see in – Revelation 7 points us towards the seal of the Holy Spirit. So I definitely hold that opinion. Right. Um, so I think this sealing, uh, I don't know if you want to push me too far on this. So I think the sealing <laughs> that has taken question. place is not uh, a physical mark on a forehead. No, I wouldn't. Okay. I don't necessarily hold that either. I'm, I wouldn't be opposed if it is. I mean, yeah. but uh, I don't necessarily hold that it is a physical okay. mark. So we agree there's some some symbolism. You're on my team. <laughs> well, sure. The, regardless of whether it's physical or not, the sure. reality is they are protected, protected right? Possessed by God. Possessed and protected. Yeah. And so the Holy Spirit is that which seals the, the believer. That's correct. Right? Yes. So who, who yes. holds us, protects us yes. through wrath, through, through persecution. persecution, through yeah. all of it. We are yeah. sealed in his hand. And I think this points us to that, yeah. which, of course, we see. Yeah. I would say keeps on. us from wrath, keeps us through persecution. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and I would say... Which would be an argument for me for the church not to be present during the tribulation, which is the wrath of God being yeah, poured yeah, out. Yeah. And, th- and that's my point with the Exodus is is that I, I find it plausible. Um, I'm not necessarily saying it's an airtight argument, but I find it plausible that God's people could be present um, on earth and still not experience his wrath. Uh, so again, chapter nine and 10, it says this, this, the servants that are sealed don't experience the locust. They don't experience the mm-hmm. armies coming after them. Right. Um, and so I, I, I agree. We're, we both agree. Uh, God's people are protected, protected from, God's from wrath. the wrath. Yeah. How well, that happens, whether, in whether heaven, heaven or, on or earth, they're protected, protected from right. wrath. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I would, um, just a couple more things. I, I, I look at Jesus's promise to the disciples that they're going to the 12 will sit on thrones reigning mm-hmm. over the 12 tribes of Israel. The 12 apostles will? Yes, the 12 apostles. They will. Uh, the description of New Jerusalem in Revelation 21, 12 through 14, uh, the, the gates with the names of the 12 tribes. So how does the church and where does the church fit in? Which tribe? Mm. Right? So yeah. those kind of questions would rise. And then I, Romans 11 to me is just kind of a linchpin to understand this whole thing. And yeah. we don't have time to unpack Romans 11, but I would encourage our folks to read that and just kind of study through that. Yeah. One more thing, I think uh, a difference between us um, and just understanding seven as a whole is, and correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I've been trying. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. That was a good one. That was very good. Uh, so the beginning of seven, we both agree uh, the 144,000 are the people who can stand. The second half of chapter seven is this great innumerable multitude of mm-hmm. people that are sitting around the throne of God, uh, and he wipes the tears away, which is actually what happens in the new heavens, new earth later. So I, I take it as the people in the new heavens, new earth. I think, uh, and, and, and there's, there's somewhat we both agree. Uh, I, I think you would, um, understand and correct me if I'm wrong. The, the 144,000, um, are laid out as the reason this multitude is saved in in the new heavens and new earth. Like because of the 144,000, then we have the multitude. It's it's the evangelism of the 144,000 that leads the multitude, and that's why it's placed there. Am I correct or am I not correct? I, I wouldn't go as far as to say the that's why multitude is because of the 144,000. Okay. They may have played a role in some of that multitude. They yeah. clearly do, but I don't think they are the sole reason for the, the multitude. Yeah. Um, I, I just see this as – Answering the question, 
who can stand in this judgment? Well, you got 144,000 that are sealed, but you also have a multitude that's coming from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. I just messed that up, but tribe, tongue, people, whatever. I mean, same thing, right? All right. So everybody on earth, all (laughs) the nations of the world. So there are people from every nation that will stand because their robes have been washed as white, um, through again, faith in the, in the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Yeah. So I only say that to say why in Revelation, it's really unique. It'll go down like the seven seals or the seven trumpets. And then there's this, this pause. Sometimes it's answering a question, which in this case, it's answering a question, who can stand? Other times he's, he's taking a, a step back and answering something else. Um, and so the way I understand chapter seven is who can stand chapter six, right? And then here's these 144,000 that can stand. Mm-hmm. Through the tribulation, which we agree, you say is Jews, I say is Jews and Gentiles, but we agree to answer the same question. And then you've got the second half of chapter seven, which is this innumerable multitude. Um, the way that I understand seven and, and why it's placed there before it goes to seal seven is that you have, um, a, a protected church, um, uh, in the first, uh, eight verses, 144,000. And then verses nine through, I think it ends in 17 or 18, you have a resurrected church. And so um, why I think it's placed there is that you've got the people who can stand are sealed by God and protected and possessed by God, 144,000 while they're on the earth. And the sealing was was effective. And we see that because they're now standing around the throne. They're not standing on earth where they can be persecuted anymore. They're standing around the throne. The mm-hmm. sealing was effective. And so I right. think there's like a, a hurrah. Yes, God did, in fact, seal his servants. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if you have that same uh, opinion. I don't know. I, I wasn't sure. The bottom line in all of this. <laughs> so Sorry. The, so Sorry. No, no, no. no. The, uh, but I think you're hitting at it. The bottom line in all of this is people from every nation yeah. will trust in, in Christ. That's right. So that's the big picture. So this ought to be uh, just a, a call to us to just do what we're called to do right. as as the image bearers of Christ in the world today um, and not get so hung up in, in exactly all the nuances of how it's going to play out in the end. We yeah. we just have to admit we don't know. We yeah. We can look at Scripture and say, I think this is what Scripture reveals, but I have to be generous in saying someone else's position, if they're supporting it scripturally, it might be as well. Mm-hmm. And so – uh, but the bottom line is people need Jesus, yeah. right? Because he is returning and judgment is coming. Yeah. Um, and so who can stand in that judgment? Only those who have been That's right. sealed with the Holy Spirit. So we've got to tell them. That's right. Hey, any any other things we can agree on before we close this thing out? This was interesting. <laughs> this was fun. No. Yeah. I, I really, again, I wanted us to model the fact that there can be genuine uh, um relationships between believers who disagree on not primary, not even secondary, but tertiary matters in Scripture. Uh, this is one that's been a, a, a difficult passage for a number of years, and it may be until Christ's trumpet call. And again, hopefully then none of us will say, I told you so, because we'll be with Jesus. There you go. Uh, anything you want to say as we close? Glad we're both sealed. <laughs> that's right. Hey, I agree with that. That's awesome. Um, hey, uh, Love you, appreciate you. Uh, thanks for. Uh, it's been blessed. Not just. Hope we didn't confuse people more than help them with this one. I think we. I think it was helpful. Thanks for not destroying me <laughs> too much. <laughs> All right. Hey, thank you guys for listening. We hope you have a great week.